I was going through the podcast this morning. Yeah. And I had this thought that as I'm listening to it, that this podcast are like this education of Cody Liska. You know, I mentioned in the the Aaron Leggett one where I'm like, there's a long period of time where I'm like quiet in, in that one. And I remember listening to it and being brought back to that moment where I'm like, I felt like I was listening to a podcast as opposed to being a host in one. Yeah, we're definitely learning. We, we got these people from all different walks of life. But one thing I'm realizing is that everyone's kind of fed up with the way things are, are going. Oh, absolutely. You know, everyone, like that's everything one... is on an even keel right now as far as the, I think the mentality of the people that are aware of stuff happening and then the people that actually use logic, you know, everybody's yeah. like- Maybe we're just what, talking to people that use logic. Like what the fuck's going on right now? Yeah. It's like, it's like we, we keep talking about how we're divided, mm-hmm. but yet I'm seeing less divisiveness in the way we- look at the world around us. But we're I want fed up. I wonder if that has anything to do with the the fact that we're talking to people and and maybe it's not the like the average folks like us that that are you know divided. Maybe it's it's more so kind of these uh I don't know, the media like the mainstream media telling us that we're divided and then that is influencing certain people to be like, oh yeah, no, we're totally divided. Well, I, th- I think like we talked about, we have the system that like rewards you by like um, creating division. That's like the way the money flows, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a business rather yeah. than this this way of life. The like business when peop- of division. <laughs> like ah. When people talk about it, when when the average person talks about their their morals and their virtues it's like you know family first it's it's um i want to make a living i want to have a good job and i don't think that companies are necessarily thinking about it that way i think that they're thinking of of us as a product yeah there's like there's there's no morals in capitalism these days and i mean that's I probably sound like some crazy like revolutionary socialist when i say that or something right there's sound no like a millennial mo- yeah maybe but i mean <laughs> is there are there? You know, like I always think to my uncle who uh, who runs a, a small business here in Anchorage. And, and I remember I'll never forget like 10 years ago in his kitchen, he had this conversation with me about being a moral business leader, mm-hmm. you know, or business owner. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and like how sometimes morals and principles take precedent over like the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. And that always stuck with me. And I'm like wondering, like the bigger your business gets, the bigger the corporations are, the those things disappear. And I wonder if if in some situations it only disappears because the the boss has to delegate certain responsibilities off to other people and those people don't hold the same exact morals and virtues as maybe the boss did when he or she created that business. Yeah, I think it has to do when you're like such a big entity that you're separated from like the people who are like, you know, whether you're in the factory or on the ground working and then you're in a boardroom, right? Mm-hmm. It's like two different, you're just completely separated. And you're like, you're the guy pulling the strings, making the decisions, but it's all based on like spreadsheets and numbers mm-hmm. and not based on like, you know. Well, you're not seeing the human aspect. You're not it. seeing the human aspect. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy, but I mean, as much as like I'm like, we're fucked, you know, um, we're, we're so divided, nothing's working. Uh, the, the best part about this is realizing that everyone realizes it. Mm-hmm. And, and we can have the, we're, we're actually having the, a very similar conversation 
with everybody, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Like maybe we're talking about uh, hunting on one podcast and then journalism on another podcast. But the thing is, and is podcasting on another podcast. Yeah, meta meta podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is I feel like we keep coming back to the same conclusions. Yeah, we are. Like, like there's never been a situation where, where we're like, we're we're in the interview room so, and then we feel like, you know, fuck that motherfucker. No, never. No, never. Yeah, it hasn't happened. So the question is then, you know, where do we go from here? I don't know. I, you know, I was thinking about, I actually was thinking about this, this, this past weekend, which is, you know, what is my, my dream occupation, me personally. And, and I, I boiled it down to two things. And that is to number one, be a lifelong learner. To 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 I hope never be like, oh, I'm that's I'm, not a job. And I'm so certain of this one thing that I'm going to base everything in my being around that. Like, oh yeah, no, I know that absolutely for certain. And so the next thing is to somehow have that in in conjunction with journalism. So if I can be a lifelong learner and produce a certain certain form of journalism and right now i believe that's podcasting i can be happy and i think that what i'm trying to get to is that's a little bit of the ethos that that's that's making up this podcast right now and i think for both of us like i listened to the, this podcast that we're about to get into and i'm like i i feel i really feel like we're we're maybe we didn't realize we were going to be doing something so important but I really feel like we're doing something important right now. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, we're collecting all these different perspectives and voices that represent who we are. Mm -hmm. And we're putting it out there and then we're just, the general public gets to listen to it and digest it in their own way. And I think there are going to be some positive results from that. And I'm ready just to keep going. Mm -hmm. Because this is great. Yeah. And there's just so many more people to talk to and so many more ideas to expound upon. And another thing, too, is like our app, the Patreon app. Well, yeah, that's how we keep this going. Exactly. Well, well, I mean, I don't think people know about the app, even okay. like our patrons. Yeah, yeah. And then, so it's like you can just go to your app store, whether it's your iPhone or Android, and you can download Patreon. And it's great because you get all the early content mm -hmm. from Crude before anyone else gets it and you can interact with people and yeah, it's pretty sweet. So I would recommend, you know, going out and, and getting the Patreon app, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a, it definitely streamlines the, the listening. Totally. And it's, you know, and what are we doing right now? The house of 100 patrons. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The idea behind that hashtag house of a hundred patrons. Well, I kind of, I thought about like house of a thousand corpses. Yeah. You ever seen that movie? Yeah, Rob Zombie oh, directed it. so good. But anyway, no, it has nothing really to do with that other than like it's kind of sounds the same. Yeah, yeah. But for me, we're building a house. And okay. these first 100 patrons are going to be a part of this house, this tight-knit community of Alaskans that kind of says, you know, a group of people that got together and said no to the reality shows. Mm -hmm. You know, that said no to the status quo and said yes to kind of this movement, which is not me, which is not you, which is not even crude. It's kind of like this organic Alaskan thing that's taken place mm -hmm. over how many years now? How long has crude been going? We started crude in 2013. It's been bumpy, but 
I've been happy with every single product that we've put out and every single party that we've done because it has come from the mentality of quality over quantity. Which is tough because oh, if, you, if you do quantity over quality, that's how you make money. Well, you, that's how you make in money media. in the short run. In media, in the short run. In the short run. But but when you look at things that have longevity, you want quality because then whatever you produce is timeless. Fuck yeah. There, there already is like a strong like community behind crude. There's like a family of people, right? But the, oh, absolutely. But the idea, be I think, behind the house of a hundred patrons, the idea behind building this house is that if this thing's going to continue, if we want to like really see where it can go and what it can do and the story we can tell about Alaska and and what that creates, well, that we, we could help tell. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone's a part of this, mm-hmm. and we. You know, we have a family right now, but the family needs somewhere to live, mm-hmm. and that's the house. Mm-hmm. And and it, it the, the reality is, is it takes money, mm-hmm. and it's going to take all of us coming together and building it out and listening to each other, and we're all going to be one giant family of 100 people in this house. Yeah, just 100 corpses. It's 100 corpses <laughs> in this house of crude. Yeah. 100 <laughs> patrons. Yeah. Hey, but no, it makes sense, right? No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like it. It's it's Right now, I think that- we're looking at these first hundred people as as the building blocks to this house. Like if, if we're using that analogy, I think that that, that is the it's most- the foundation. Or, Maybe the, the first foundation. floor, right? You yeah, always, exactly. It, like when you're a family and you're starting off, you know, you're not, you don't have that like dream two-story, five-bedroom home. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, brothers and sisters are sharing bedrooms. Yeah. But you're doing, because you, you have goals, you have this dream and you work hard and you work together. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do with Crude. And it's not easy- but we're not giving up. And we we talked to someone like Craig Medrid, who we're about to jump into this podcast. And he's he's from a different generation from than us. And mm-hmm. we, we talk about it the whole time, right? A portion of it, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, yeah. it comes out, right? And it's, it's yeah. hilarious. It's cool, but it's important. But there's also like, I don't know, I guess like some hope. Oh, this- absolutely. I think that when we can sit down... I'm 30, you're 33, like we're, you know, we're in our 30s and we're talking to Craig who is not old. 30. He's old. <laughs> he's old, right? He's grumpy, but he's also hilarious and he's and, happy. And we can get along and we can have a conversation and we we can talk about the same exact things in the same exact way for the most part in the important ways, right? I think that that absolutely gives hope and sheds light on how things are not as divisive as people think they are. You know, I've said this before, but like the fact is, is like we're having these conversations, but I hope that when the listeners are listening and they're actually joining in on the conversation, Mm -hmm. adding their own thoughts and maybe taking this conversation, these themes and discussing them out with other Alaskans. It's, um, it's like a ripple effect. The butterfly effect. Afflect? Yeah. Ben Mm. Affleck. (laughs) <laughs> the butterfly Affleck. Yeah. It's a new movie. Uh, Ashton Kutcher got replaced. He did. <laughs> All right. Well, Craig Medred, grumpy old sourdough. Yeah. A uh, lot of history writing on Alaska. Yep. Got attacked by a bear. We talk about it. Listen in. It's tight. Yeah. It's this is a really good one. Mike is hot. Mike's hot. Mike's hot. Is it recording? It's recording. That's what that means, dude. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Yeah. And for the rest of the podcast, Cody will be playing Craig. <laughs> I'll do my best Craig Medrin impression. Oh, yes, long day. Fucking Alaska. Just take a nap here. Yeah, the whole thing with our podcast, right, is like we're trying to figure out the identity of an Alaskan. And I think like we're going to figure it out tonight, man, right oh, here. Oh, God, the identity of an Alaskan. That's like Alice Rogoff, who used to, you know, she, she spent thousands of dollars when I worked at the old Alaska Dispatch filming these videos of, of who's an Alaskan or what's an Alaskan. I don't even know whatever happened to them. I mean, she just, well, I'd like, do them. You mean this exists somewhere? She, yeah, I have. They exist somewhere. She'd get people in the room. They'd sit around and talk about what's an Alaskan. I'm I, like, I must have done a half dozen of them. I'm like, you know, it's any goddamn thing you wanted to be. I don't There's no definition. I have a was feel- it like a, a focus group? Yeah, but it was like all filmed. I, I always thought you she was going to use it for an ad or I, something. I feel like I, it's in like one of her mansions and you like pull a book out of a bookcase yeah, and it opens and there's up. there's a video. There's, yeah, yeah, there's all okay. the videos. <laughs> I don't know if she was practicing or what, you know? Okay, I got it now. Those are the 52 things I need to do to be an Alaskan. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird at the time in retrospect. It's weirder. Yeah. So tell us about that time when when uh, you, you, you've written about it quite a bit. Um, a little bit. Um, you know, the sad thing is I think Tony Hopfinger had to model. I mean, we'd be kicking ass now. Of Alaska I mean, Dispatch. Yeah. I mean, everything's kind of gone to shit here. And if we just kept on doing what we're doing, you know, it, we'd be kicking ass and making money. And... Uh, you know. So was was it kind of like we're gonna take the we're gonna take this money up quick because we got something that's working, you know, from Alice, and that's what kind of screwed everything up. If you had just kept well, that it slow, was, it, was, it was no controlling Alice. It was she got a chance to buy the Daily News, and we were all like saying no, 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 and she, oh yeah, we gotta buy it, we gotta buy it. Did she buy the Daily News before the whole cocktail napkin thing with Tony? Um, no, the cocktail napkin thing came after. And so Buy, buying the Daily News was. <laughs> was probably more than Tony could take. It was a mess over there. It was just a mess. Oh. I mean, Alice, she didn't make a deal. She just bought it. I mean, McClatchy said, will you do that? Will you take this cost? Will you take that cost? Will you take this cost? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. She was like million, the worst right? shopper in the world. So by the time we got in there, I mean, it was like you looked at the books and went, uh-oh. And then she said, well, we can't lay anyone off. That'll look bad. We can't get rid of any people. That'll look bad. So it's like, we're already, I mean, the day Tony walked in the door, it was underwater. Turned, but in terms of millions of dollars underwater. And he'd tell her, you know, we're not making any money. We got trouble here. And she'd say, I don't want to hear it. So are you involved with Tony before Alice is in the picture? Um, Tony and I knew each other from when Tony was a reporter at the at the Daily News, which was way back. I mean, okay. way, way back. So I, when he started Dispatch, <laughs> actually, he started Dispatch. He and Amanda weren't making any money. Amanda Coyne. Yeah, Amanda Coyne, the other part, his ex-wife now, and other part. So they've got a lot of, they got a lot of, Viewers, people are tuning in. Yeah, the they news. were getting a lot of people to look at it and they weren't making any money. So, my other half hooked them up with Alice, which is how that kind of all started. And she, Alice, said, Oh, I got some money. And, you know, huh. yeah, she had some money. She had, she she had had some yeah. money. It's really unclear some how pocket much, change. It, well, it's real unclear how much money she had. Um, a lot of it appears like it was at that time phantom money. Because David wasn't giving her that much to live up here, but she cut a she later cut a better deal 
And I'm sure she got a lot of money out of the divorce, but she later caught a cut a better deal to, you know, be paid to stay here hiding in Alaska because he didn't want her around. Yeah, um, that happens sometimes. <laughs> and that, I, I that... think it was easier for him that, you know, the guy's a multi-billionaire. It's just easier to pay her to go away than to get divorced. Yeah. I, weird, weird situation. It is. I mean, you know, people in, in relationships when they go south are really strange. And I mean, she said awful things about him behind his back, but never really wanted to get divorced either because it was a gravy train. And I don't know what finally brought it. But to somehow an end. Alice was drawn to Alaska. Um. Yeah. Or the Arctic. What? Well, part of part of. If you read her the book she helped write about her dad, her dad was a big wig at IT&T when IT&T meant something. I don't know what that it's means. A, it was an international uh, communications company. I mean, a big okay. one. A yeah, big yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, she like grew up in Paris. He was their, their European VP and, you know, big shot in Paris. He also happens to be the guy that basically designed GPS. So when he designed GPS, the idea was that if you're going to go through the Northwest Passage of the Arctic to ship from the Arctic to the East Coast, yep. you're going to need some kind of other navigation system because there's no navigational aids up there. So she got indoctrinated in this whole Arctic thing and, you know, moving through ships through the Arctic. And, you know, in her in the book about him, she describes herself as the son he never had. So she had this whole Alaska thing going on in her head before she got here, and then she wanted to be the queen of the Arctic. She still wants to be the queen of the Arctic. She actually thinks something could happen in the Arctic. <laughs> in what way? Um, well, she tried to get, you know, she tried to get a port at Port Clarence. I mean, she wanted that to be the U.S. Arctic port, which uh, is how Sean Parnell pissed her off because he really wasn't big on it. And when it came up, when the... Uh, when the old AWAC station there became available because the feds abandoned it, Alice wanted it to go to Bering Straits Native Corporation because she had friends at Bering Straits Native Corporation and thought they'd build something. And Sean said, well, you know, we should look at that because the state has the first option as whether well, there's any value to the state. And that's when she got pissed off at Parnell and said, you're a racist. Um, yeah. And that's when kind of she started backing Bill Walker, and Walker was like, okay, you know, you support me, I'll support a port. And then, of course, everything, Shell went Shell went away, and there was no reason for a port in Alaska, and everything's... And is, is, is this coming from um, a place of experience for you, or is it, is it um, coming from, like, you reading articles? Um, well, I, 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 there were a lot of conversations with Alice over the years. I mean, we were all kind of like always talking about her, her Arctic ideas. She was never shy about her Arctic ideas. And it was, you know, Port Clarence was, she was going to get a port at Port Clarence and she was going to be the one who opened the Arctic. And that all, of course, kind of, it died when Shell died. I mean, there was hope when Shell was up there, when, when it looked like we were going to have Oil development, the Chuck Chi. I mean, you got to stage, you got to stage oil spill cleanup stuff. You got to stage the Coast Guard. You got to stage all that somewhere. And Port Clarence was the nearest place. Where, where, where is Port Clarence? Um, just north of Nome. It's that big bay named Port Clarence, and yep. but it has no port. I mean, it's just a giant bay. But it's probably the only. I mean, it's really the only good natural harbor on our side for big ships. 
And did you ever hear any uh, blueprint ideas? Or, I mean, like, what no, was, it, it was uh, all, any building? No, it was all in her head. So, I mean, obviously her owning the newspaper was just a means for her to get her other goals accomplished. Yeah. We know none of us ever kind of accepted that when she first bought it, but in retrospect, yeah, it was... Really? So you guys thought, oh, she's into, you know, Alaskan well, journalism? Yeah, we kind of bought that idea because um, we wanted to buy that idea. I mean, it was easy to buy it. I mean, you're a little dispatcher, a bunch of guys in a hangar and girls um, having a great time doing journalism. And, you know, Alice is talking about how important journalism is. It's pretty easy to buy in. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. like, oh, okay. So remember that, Cody, you know, when they when they come with to us with the offers. That's right. Be careful. And so it comes off as a lot of money. To yeah, do does Alice want to buy crude? <laughs> you should ask her. She's still hanging around. It's got it's got it's gotta be better than Arctic Now or whatever that, you know, webpage is she's running that nobody looks at. I'll just make sure that she signs it on a contract instead of a napkin. Yeah, I, I uh uh, I, 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 that whole part is to me. Is that real? Was what the real? whole bar napkin contract? Yeah, thing? yeah. She signed it on a bar napkin because she was on orders from the bank not to sign anything, not to make any agreements over fifty thousand dollars. But now that's evidence in court. Yeah, proceedings. it's evidence in court. Yeah. What bar napkin was it? Um, uh, I think it was at the Cook. Captain like Cook Fletcher's? Hotel. Yeah. Fletcher's? I, I don't, that... I, I, no, upstairs. I don't remember. Oh, oh the crow's nest. I, yeah, I don't remember exactly. That's where I, it all went down. I'm thinking. No was... one really remembers. Right? <laughs> a lot of a lot of whiskey flowing well, around were, that there night. There were a lot of parties. No one remembers. Um, but I think it was at the Cook. You know, this really seems like some great Gatsby type shit. You know, just rich people <laughs> floating around, ideas, drinking. Well, the it is rich people shit. You know, the very rich are different than you and I. They have a lot of goddamn money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. But she and she had a lot of money. You know. Um. So you told me a while back this story. Oh God! About... You wrote it down. He's he's cheating. <laughs> he's actually got notes. I thought this. It's not a reconstructed memory. He actually took notes. <laughs> Listen, I took these notes earlier today. <laughs> yeah. So there. So there's this. There's this story that you told me about uh, this meeting at ADN where you were you had gone crazy. Like not not necessarily that you had gone crazy, but that the the uh, people perceived that you'd gone crazy. And I think it was maybe one of those meetings with Alice in the room. I remember you telling me at Burger File a while back. Um I well I, I think in my whole career at the Daily News people thought I'd gone crazy at the time. Um I mean, no, the only meeting I can remember with Alice is Alice had a meeting that I wasn't invited to about what to do about Craig. And that was because I'd caught Roland Mob, you know, breaking the law, and he's now facing a bunch of felonies. And she really, you know, what do we do with this guy? We told him not to pursue that story. Could, could pursued, you explain that story to us? Um, Roland Mob was a member of the Board of Fisheries. It turned out he was claiming to be a resident of both Montana and Alaska, and it, that's illegal. You know, which is no big deal for a fishing license. I mean, you get a little fine. But if you do that in Alaska and collect permanent fund dividends, you're also ineligible for permanent fund dividends. And as we all know, that's a big deal. It is a big deal because <laughs> you end up having to pay them all back. If yeah, you and, to, and yeah. you get charged with multiple felonies, which is what he's facing now. And he's claiming, you know, that he should be let off because they can't prove he filed on the computer. 
which a judge actually believed that a couple of times and threw it. But the state, I think, which wanted to, you know, negotiate this down and plead it out is now in a position of we can't let this stand because we do all this business online. And if we let him get away with this. Exactly. And it's it's the same as welfare fraud or anything, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah. And they can't. I mean, you know, he really put him in a box when he made the claim of you can't prove who was sitting at the computer when this was filed because they do so much stuff online that if they lost that option, I mean. There'd be oh yeah the because, whole system would go wacko because there's a bunch of there's a bunch of criminals out there <laughs> filing people for the PFD who's not them you know give me a <laughs> fucking course. break That's Russians right. it yeah. happens it's, to it's me a goddamn all Russians the, it happens to me all the time you know every day every other couple of weeks somebody comes in and files for unemployment without my knowing and on the computer <laughs> no I'm not doing that I'm not doing that but I mean somebody so how many years did he collect the PFD oh like six or seven. A long time. I mean, I exactly. think exactly. So you think you'd like after collecting and be like, well, I never actually <laughs> signed up for this, you know? <laughs> wow, these checks just keep showing up in the mail. Alaska rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they charged him with every year they could charge him with before the statute of limitations. So there may have been actually more than what they charged him with. And so why why was she not? stoked that you were covering the story i i have i have never figured that out i have never ever figured that out but she had a she had a secret meeting about what to oh, do yeah. with Craig. she had a secret meeting with the lawyer and tony there and tony said you're firing my quit and that kind of killed that but it was yeah so was that your exit right there um it was pretty soon after that i kind of said enough of this crap um and Tony said, let me see if I can work you a deal. And Alice didn't want to pay me, but he worked out a deal that could work for a year without being working. So it was perfect. And so where'd you go after that? I hung out. I mean, I had nothing to do. I actually had what I the, the what was called at home the summer of peace. The I, summer I, of peace. I, and and what, did that in, what did that entail? A lot of fishing. <laughs> it was the biggest fish you caught during that time. I rode, yeah, I rode the bike a lot. I caught a lot of fish. I enjoyed Alaska. It's really kind of a cool place if you're not working. <laughs> Alaska? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really, you can have fun in this state if what? you don't have a job. <laughs> Since when? I, I thought that's I all mean, there was, was jobs here. It, it does, you know, can get a little envious of those street people. Not having to work is nice. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I've ever been envious of a street person. I don't know. You know, some of them don't look like they're doing too bad. I guess that's true. My my dad actually would take this, this uh, I guess, street person out on his boat that would panhandle in Canada. And he'd make like <laughs> an unbelievable amount of money during the wintertime. And then he'd take him out during the summertime. And he would just like just travel all summer long with that money. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was like instead of like some people having summer jobs where they work all the time, he'd have a winter job just panhandling and they'd travel in the summers. Yeah, exactly. So he was like um, <laughs> electively homeless. <laughs> it's a terrible job. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's more than a few people like that. I mean, I think you could adapt to that lifestyle. Could you adapt to that yeah, style? I, think I could probably adapt to that lifestyle. <laughs> it's like totally free of responsibility, done with all of it. I mean, you just got to be able to write a sign. Yeah. And you don't even have to spell it right. I think you're better off if you smell it, spell it That's wrong. That's right. The worse it is, the worse it looks. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, okay, Craig. You've been reporting on Alaska for how many years now? Oh, God. Too many. I got to Fairbanks in uh, 73, and I was probably reporting by 74. Wow, ten years, eleven years before I was born. Yeah, it's I a long. It's a long time ago. You grew up in Fairbanks. I did, yeah. When? So, 
Uh, well, I actually started off here in Anchorage and then moved to Fairbanks in 93, I think, 94. Wow, you really are a child. Yeah, I'm 33. You yeah. missed all that fun stuff. I know. I heard it was a wild. I heard it was, <laughs> I heard it was wild. It, we're, st we're still reading the books. It was wild. That's it was awesome. It was a wild west. So, yeah. what do you think is the difference between Alaska journalism then and now? Um, it was a lot more aggressive and wide open then than it is now. I mean, it's very restrained these days. In what way? Um, it doesn't challenge authority. Um, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, it, it, it isn't aggressive about can much you, of anything. It's kind of like, you know, well, give me the press release. Can um, you, yeah, totally. Can yeah. you, can you give us an example of like aggressive reporting that challenged well, I mean, the authority you know, back the, in the day? The, the Daily News won at one its first Pulitzer back in there for taking on the Teamsters and the Teamsters in those days were... I mean, they own the state. I, you know, I heard that the uh, the Fairbanks Athletic Club was built by the Teamsters. Yeah, so was Anchorage Athletic Club. But a bunch, of, so it, so but a bunch of like uh, crazy money deals or something. Like there was something. Yeah, I mean, they owned the state. I mean, there was talk about. I mean, there was talk at one time about how they had a chokehold on the state that they could shut down the port and the airport and just cut this place off. I can remember my dad actually talking shit on the Teamsters. It was at an Aces <laughs> game, and the Teamsters are set up there, and he's talking shit on them, calling them thugs or something. Yeah, yeah. It must yeah, have they, something to do with this. It did. It did. I mean, they, were, they, they were powerful beyond powerful here at one time. Um, and the Daily News, which was, you know, this shitty little newspaper then, took them on and uh, really went after them. Do you think that there's, there's power in – being a small paper like that, thinking that you don't have anything to lose? I I don't know what size. I think it's chemistry. I mean, they, they, there were a handful of people at the Daily News at that time that really clicked and all kind of, you know, were into it. Um, and I think, you know, if you get that kind of small group together, it was the same way at Dispatch. I mean, a bunch, a small cohesive unit. It's kind of special ops. Hungry. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's small, hungry, and you know, we kind of thought of ourselves at Dispatch as special ops. I mean, that's, you know, that's the way you fight the war today, and that's the way we're going to do it. But I think that probably goes back, way back. Um, you know, I think not having a big bureaucracy, we didn't have an HR person, we didn't have all that crap the daily news had that you know it's like bullshit hr people should be shot <laughs> you should take them all out and shoot them <laughs> uh, yeah well C cody you're our hr guy right for crude <laughs> i think we're both everything yeah, i know we're everything I mean, yeah. so i mean hey you know have you ever heard an hr person do anything. I mean, all they ever say is, "Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this." They make the employee handbooks, right? Yeah, the they, they make employee handbooks and all that. I mean, we went from the dispatch where we had beer and booze in the cooler and a free food in the refrigerator to the Daily News, where like we had a handbook that says you can't have beer on the premises. I mean, and then it, it specifically mentioned a parking lot. Well, I mean, okay. like I can't leave a friggin' six pack in my car. But was there a situation <laughs> that made that decision? Like somebody got too no, wild. No, nobody or... did anything. Okay. I mean, it just all of a sudden we have a handbook and a whole bunch of rules. And no, I, and, and, and that's one of my pet peeves about bureaucrats. It's, you know, have you ever worked for one of those people that they never tell the person who did it that they're wrong, that they just go and rape them a new one? They tell everybody, we shouldn't do this. 
I mean, they can't just go grab the jackass who made the mistake. They got to get the whole room in there and lecture you on how you shouldn't pull your pants down in the middle of downtown and wave your dick at the public. <laughs> and, you know, the women in there are like going, why are we in this meeting? We don't have any of that to wave. <laughs> so accountability. That, yeah, that's I mean, we're talking you, know, about. If, you know, tell the person who's a screw up, they're a screw up. I mean, I, it's, it's just horrible the way HR people can't do, do that. They got to like, you know, tell everybody from now on, no one's to go downtown and, you know, stand up Fourth Avenue and pull their wanger out and wave it around. And, you know, most is that are, an issue? No, but most of it, it's that bizarre. <laughs> I mean, the yeah, things yeah. They, they come up with that's are good, always that bizarre. You're, you're kind of like, what right-minded person would do this? And they're like, nobody do this. <laughs> this is going great. This is just going great. We have strayed a little you bit. You are the man, Craig. We have strayed right. a little right. bit from journalism. Well, no, speaking of journalism, what kind of journalist are you? Um, an eclectic one. An eclectic. Yeah. I, I can't answer that question. Go look at my website. It's all over the place. Who the hell knows what that guy's going to do? Well, now? exactly. Now now you're free. Yeah, right? You have your own website. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Does so it suck? You, well, I write like a story a day. I mean, that's painful. Yeah, you're, you're cranking them out. Yeah. And, and are, you, are you living off of this? No, not really. Okay. This is um, more of a passion project. Yeah, it's a passion project. I mean, I'm making a little money. I'm, I'm not living off it. Um, you know, yeah, I could use to make a lot more money. Anybody listen to this, if you have money, send it to me. Um, <laughs> so it's a passion project, but it's fun. Um, it's kind of interesting to make a difference. Well, we were going through it and I noticed, uh, we checked out the comments section and your comments section are a little bit different than say the, uh, ADN comments section. Well, I get in there and moderate a little bit. Sometimes. Oh, you do? Yeah, sometimes. I take some stuff out. I cut some stuff off. I tell some people to shut up. You know, I kind of guide, try to guide some other people to being a little more constructive. Comment sections are really both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. And, and they're not used very well in many places. Um, you so know, I is, read uh, there was, they did this thing in uh, Finland or Norway, somewhere in Scandinavia. And the deal was if you wanted to leave a comment, you had to answer three questions. And there was three questions from the article. So you couldn't leave an, a comment unless you had actually read the yeah, article. Yeah, which is a really great idea. I thought so too. I've actually gone in there from time to time and told people, you didn't read the story, did you? Shut up. Um, because and Did you keep their comment? Um, and some I have or some I didn't. And some I just, you know, I, they, I, I hate to kill comments, you know, unless they're really bad or unless they really outrageously attack someone else for no reason. So I'll kill those. But, you know, I'm generally, if it's just calling me names, that's kind of like funny to me because I've been called every name you can imagine in Alaska. But, I, I, you know, I think the most interesting part of comments is when people actually start to have a dialogue. I mean, it actually is possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are times when people start talking to each other instead of at each other. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to watch when that happens. I mean, I think, I think the internet could be a good thing. It just kind of needs to get a few people involved to kind of like, you know, moderate it instead of another logarithm that, oh, yeah, we're going to let a computer decide to get how to stop a bar fight. Hey, we got a bar fight here. <laughs> <laughs> Bring in the algorithm. <laughs> Bring in the algorithm. Bring in the math. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Craig, in your opinion, what is the, uh, what is an important, issue 
in Alaska that's not being paid attention to? I mean, you you report on so much different stuff. Well, I mean, obviously the most important issue not being attended, paid attention to at the moment is the economy. I mean, we got to figure out some way to build an economy in this state that isn't just oil. Yeah, we've been talking about that quite a bit, actually. I mean, I, I mean it just... We, you know, we can't live off it forever, and we really have nothing else. I mean, fisheries are going to go away, so well, that one's you, out. So you recently wrote about this, and you mentioned yeah. uh, a beer and pot as a you know so, something that's kind of represents some economic <laughs> diversification. But does does it? Do you we're, think? Or we're, we're good at beer. I mean, we can make money off a of beer. Um, but can we export no... it? Because we have to import the hops. We have to import the grains. Yeah, but you we, know, ex we export amber. I mean, Alaska Brewing exports beer. You can get that all over the country. Um, there is a model there. So we can learn from them. We can learn from them. But, you know, we got we got to find more than that. Um, yeah. What does it look like, in your opinion, a, um, a diversified Alaskan economy? I, I have no idea because I don't know where we'd go. You're the um, one that's supposed to have the answer. Yeah, I don't have the answer on this one. That's the problem. I don't even have the idea on this one. I mean, the, it, you know, tech is... Tech on its many levels is the is the future of everything, and we really have no. I mean, if it was me, if I was God, I'd be talking about how we get into the carbon fiber business because carbon fiber is going to be the steel of tomorrow. I mean, cars, everything's going to be built out of carbon fiber. We've got good feedstock and all that natural gas we want to send to China. We, you know, we need to figure out some way, you know, carbon fiber is light. We can back ship it to Seattle for not much cost. I mean, we need to find some way to do that. Um, I've never heard that, carbon fiber as a way to diversify Alaskan's economy. What, you, you, you must have something made out of carbon fiber. Yeah, high backs on my, yeah, on my bindings yeah, for my snowboard. snowboard. Yeah, there you go. I got, I got a bunch of very expensive bikes made out of it. I just never knew we could do that here. <laughs> I think you've defined part of the problem. Exactly. Like, I never knew we could think here. Well, I mean, well, how do you make We're carbon fiber? We're allowed to think here. Um, it's a petroleum product. Um, you know, you refine the petroleum into a so, but into a resin it's, it's, and a fiber. It's an ex carbon fiber is expensive, so the idea would be that you'd need cheap labor in uh, Southeast Asia, correct? Yeah, no, God, don't get me started there. It's, <laughs> It's Let's pretty, get him started. Let's pretty, start it, Craig. <laughs> I, know, started. I don't want to get started there. That whole, <laughs> the, the people being offended that we can't, you know, take advantage of cheap labor in, in Asia is kind of at some level offensive. Mm. I mean, it's, it's just offensive. I, I, it's I offensive know. that we take advantage of cheap labor? Yeah. It's, a, it's offensive that, you know, we think that we're being deprived because we're not allowed to take advantage of cheap labor. I mean, I hate to sound like a Trump supporter, but he basically is, I mean, NAFTA, he's guaranteed Mexican $16 an hour. I mean, it's like good for him. His, 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 well, they, his they, tariffs they, with the Chinese are basically to seal off products that, you know, are getting advantage of really, really cheap labor. I mean, we're kind of like offended by that. I mean, I, I think there's there's pros and cons to all of it. I think that inevitably we're part of a global society now, and there's going to be a natural leveling over the next century or two anyway, where we all kind of are living on an even keel. And so whether we do tariffs now or we don't, it's all going to match up. Well, I hope so, but now it just seems to run to the lowest hole in the boat. That, well, that's the idea with capitalism, correct? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it's like China gets too expensive and then we take advantage of people in, you know, some Malaysia. other part of Asia. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 
and, and to kind of be, you know, as Americans supporting that is is a little offensive. Well, do you think Am- American citizens are ready to pay more for uh, no, products? No, I don't. I don't think they care. I think they're great at talking about it. But when it comes to buying American, hey, I'm not paying an extra $2. Get out of here. No, I was actually, I mean, they can't even raise the minimum wage. I was talking to Greg Matthias about that today, who tried to build bikes in America. I mean, he tried to build fatback in America. It just wouldn't work. People wouldn't pay. They all said, wow, we want a bike made in America. Okay, we pay an extra $100. And I know I'm not paying $100. Yeah, I, I, we, want, we want the cheapest crap. We want Walmart. We want Walmart. I mean, they've done a real big business selling Chinese junk. Except when we don't. I mean, we'll go out and pay, you know, five bucks for a cup of coffee yeah. without air. There's a disconnect there. Well, that, that, that's a that's a marketing scheme, right? Yeah, it's a I marketing mean, scheme. So we have we have these uh, these these certain companies like Starbucks. Yeah, they they can sell you, you know, a two cent product for five bucks. A bunch of sugar. Yeah, and we we like accept that. And when it comes to buying something, you know, that's actually made. We're like, I'm not paying that. Well, we're still buying bottled water, aren't we? Yeah. Bottled water is the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's a problem with your generation and not ours, to be honest. No, I think um, yours is worse. Yeah, well, you're wrong, Craig. Um, we're, we're what we like to call woke. And woke is not a word that I like to use. I think, I think you do like to use it at this point I, now, though. I don't. Well, you're going to roll right off your I don't, I don't have an alternative. I thought maybe enlightened, but that was used back in like the 17th century, yeah, that's 18th like a, that's century. That's like a beatnik. Yeah, you know, no, even before that, you know, the Enlightenment, like our founding fathers. and There was nothing before that. Oh, okay. Nothing before the beatniks. No, but really, um, we're aware of our, of our surroundings and these issues to a degree that your generation isn't. I, got, I actually have good faith in, in the millennials and, and, and what's to come. You know, once the power gets handed to us, I think we're going to start making some oh informed decisions. Oh, my God, decisions. you're scaring the shit out of me. No, I should be making you stop. <laughs> you are in that interrogation chair that you thought you weren't. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you don't have faith in millennials, Craig? Um, well, I did until this whole Salvador thing in, in New York started and, you know, the victimhood and... You know, this lie and that lie. And then I read this really good piece by somebody in the New York Post or somewhere about how all millennials think they're victims. And that's why that whole chick with, you know, her made up backstory, all the lies she told don't matter because all millennials have been telling that lie about what tough childhoods they had and, you know, how they grew up poor when they didn't and the whole. Sh- what are you what are you talking about right I'm now? I'm talking about you guys all got this dis. This kind of idea that you've had it hard and you don't know what hard is. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, not for me personally, but but one thing no, that, I, that I have said uh, in conversations with Dustin is that there are some piece of shit millennials that, that I, I can identify. But I don't I – f- I feel like I don't consider myself or Dustin or certain people that I associate with those shitty millennials and you know what we we have had it good that's that's the truth but that's not our fault that like uh america had like such huge economic gains in the 90s and we were a global power and things and there's credit systems that exist that give us all these products and this way of life that has never existed for this many people is that our fault no it's not because because you guys grew up in a different situation it, it, it shapes how you think and you know, I, guess I agree with that. It's interesting here because let's go back to that living on the street thing again. 
I could go back to being a straight person because I kind of once lived like that. I my, mean, my dad's the same exact way. And, and well, I, a lot of millennials <laughs> live like that by choice, actually. There's like this thing. <laughs> You know, like I, I even isn't it called Burning Man? <laughs> no, it's not. That's not. No, not at all. Let's not even go there. You're way off. Um, no, I just can remember like kids I knew that would like eat out of dumpsters just to try and feel like. Not... Who the fuck are you hanging out with? Remember Chris Gulick? <laughs> no. Oh, he went to school with us. Might need to take this out. Is this? Is no, this... It's fine. Leave it in. Is there something wrong with eating out of dumpsters? If you don't have to, yes. But, but see, that's the difference. I grew up at a time when people have to do that. I mean, you know, like in college, I had friends. We'd go to restaurants, you know, and kind of just look around and see when somebody abandoned a table, jump in there and finish off the pizza or whatever was left over. <laughs> yeah, but you, mean, could, you couldn't have gotten a job during college? Um, Well, if I'd cleaned up my act, maybe. Yeah, so I think it's kind of the same thing, you know. It's... Every, I, Every generation looks at the generation younger than them, doesn't understand it, and, you know, talks shit on them, basically. I yeah, mean, maybe that's a good thing. The baby boomers to Gen X. Get right? off my lawn! Yeah, it's get off my lawn kind of stuff. <laughs> so, you know, as, as millennials, dude, we're always hearing it. And it's like, you know what? You guys just need to move on and give us the reins and give us our chance. Because yeah. we're tired of seeing the bullshit that you guys are doing but you'll end up you'll end up right where we are probably yeah i, I agree mean you that. know my daughter's a i want to be just as angry my, my, as you my, sitting my in that chair someday <laughs> my daughter's a millennial she was really well-intentioned she believed for a long time art should be free i mean then finally she had to live on free art and she decided shit art shouldn't be free people should pay me for this mm -hmm. yeah but she's still a millennial <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. When does, when does it, well, you're, you're born in that generation, so you're stuck with Exa it forever. Exactly. So case, generations It's like I'm always a, a baby boomer, and, uh, you know, you'll always be a baby boomer. Do I look like a baby anymore? Shit. No. <laughs> the more and more life, the more and more life lessons uh, you take on, the less idealistic you, you become. Yeah. But you're, you still are a representative of that generation. And so I guess what I'm getting at is by the time we've taken the power and the reins, from your generation, we'll have gone through enough life lessons well, why to make wait? the right... Wait, 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 back up. Hold on right there. Why wait? How old are you, 33? 33. What are you waiting for? I mean, when I got to Alaska, people were over 30. They were dead. Well, hey, we got this I podcast. Mean... <laughs> we're trying, man. <laughs> yeah, dude, we got a podcast. Well, we I got, got a podcast. The, when I got in the 70s, nobody was over 30. I mean, th life ended at 30. I mean, you better get shit done by 30 because that was going to well, be yeah, the end of life. Well, things are changing now. You know, life expectancy is way up. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunately, it's way up. <laughs> <laughs> they got the new Google Watch that can detect um, V-Fib. So I think... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> What's V-Fib? Uh, ventricular fibrillation. So when your heart starts going... And you die. Yeah. So basically oh. a heart attack. Oh. So, so you no. might want to get one. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to get angry. It detects it, and then what do you do? <laughs> well, then, well, I mean, if you have a run, then you can you can show it to your doctor, I guess, is the <laughs> optimal well, idea. I imagine it's, like, connected to the internet, and it could probably, like, trigger, like, a 911 call or Yeah, something. then the medics show up, and, you know, every time it glitches, the medics are showing up. I wonder how much that can cost. Billions of dollars running to people whose watches glitch to say. Well, no, let's commission a study on it. <laughs> <laughs> let's not.
<laughs> Here's my millennial idea All for right. you. Here's my millennial idea for you when you take power in Alaska. Ban studies. Ban studies. Ban studies. We've studied the shit out of everything. Just if you need a study, go pull one of the old ones out of the files because God knows we've studied everything in this state and we did we do Except little. for weed. I think we studied weed I at some point. So. Yeah, I think it's pretty illegal. It was illegal <laughs> to study weed, but no. It's still actually illegal to study weed. Federally, yeah. Yeah, federally, yeah. They'll, they'll yeah. come and get you. What's your what's your uh, perspective on uh on weed in Alaska and the, the industry in general? Um it hasn't grown as big as I thought it would. I mean, I've been kind of surprised. It's been kind of contained. Do you think that's because the regulations and the and the uh, fact that uh, they control the permits? Is it still cash only? As far as I know. So that means that they have to bring the yeah. cash. Well, they have yeah. ATMs. I mean, I don't. I don't know how much. That no, no, no. When they when they cash out at the end of the day, they have to. They can't bring it to the bank. I he- I've heard of banks. Uh, not accepting certain amounts of uh, money because it smells like weed. What? They wouldn't expect. It. <laughs> they wouldn't accept any Sounds like banks, a dumb- <laughs> banks in Alaska are no longer. Sounds like a dumb banker. No banks in Alaska are no longer accepting any money because it smells like weed. Banks go out of business in Alaska because they refuse to accept money. <laughs> Tomorrow on like Craig Medrid. News. <laughs> <laughs> banks are no longer. Ex- <laughs> I got an banks. inside source from this podcast. Banks no longer exist in Alaska. They. Stay Stop taking money that smelled like weed and it put them out of business. <laughs> where, where did that idea come from? <laughs> oh, man. It's like, that's like, you know, half of what's wrong with journalists today. The journalists, you know, they would believe that. I mean, it's like the most basic sniff test has ceased to exist. Somebody, you know, somebody tells them. Put, the bank put out a press release and said, we're closing our doors tomorrow. We can't take money. Are smells. you calling us not journalists, Craig? <laughs> that could, I, not you, but if a bank put out a press release tomorrow saying we're having to close down because we can't take money that smells like weed and all we all money in Alaska smells like weed, it would be in the Daily News tomorrow. Some reporter would just type it in there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Wells Fargo Bank is close to Alaska branch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're 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 becoming a conduit for yeah, like become, other people's. Yeah. They're basically um, spokesmen for hire, right? And you you kind of read about this a little that's bit. That's probably you? the biggest difference between the media when I got here and the media now is that the media then was very conscious of not being an organ of the establishment, and the media now is happy to be an organ of the establishment. Police, Have you ever been an organ of the establishment? I'm kind of an asshole. I'm been an organ of anything. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, it, it, the first, I mean, I kind of grew up with a generation, you know, Watergate, what else? And your first rule was not to trust government. I mean, yeah. if the police tell me something, I don't believe it just because they're the police. I'm sorry. You know, it, it's nice you're telling me that. But you don't have that much more credibility than anyone else. And I'm going to check this. And I, I run into a lot of young reporters now who are like, you know, government officials so-and-so said it. Like, government ne- officials never going to lie to you? How how naive are you? You know, um, I think at that, that same meeting that I was talking about earlier when we uh, had a burger at BurgerFi, um, you said the exact same thing, uh, which was to the effect that no journalists here in town will take credit for this information. It's always like, he said, she said, this yeah, and that. yeah. It's it's the same, I, I, you know, it's, 
I don't know when it went there, but it's not good for democracy. I mean, journalists aren't really supposed to believe anybody. Could you yeah, explain that a little is, bit more? It's, it's just to find truth. That's it. At whatever yeah, cost yeah. possible. Whatever cost possible. Could, could you explain that a little bit more, Craig? The, the idea that a, a journalist can't... I mean, really... if, if, if journalism becomes an organ of the government, we're in deep trouble. I mean, that was the fundamental, that's the fundamental reason we have a First Amendment is because the guys who started all this madness, who were a bunch of revolutionaries, which kind of gets forgotten here, um, didn't want people to, didn't want people to trust them. I mean, they basically said, you know, we got, we built all this, but we don't really want you to trust us. And we're in trouble when we start trusting. Yeah, because, well, they they looked at like mechanisms of power and how to like how power corrupts. Yeah, and, like how do you and that's create... what power does. Yeah, it corrupts. I mean, the time. healthiest thing what's going on with Trump now is the pushback. I mean, there's actually you know some people standing up and saying, "Oh, you know, we can't believe everything everybody in government says." That's healthy. That's good. Has has anybody ever believed everything people in government say? Oh, I've been around some people who are pretty willing to believe just about anything. They're told by, I mean, we certainly have, we've had a lot of people go to prison because journalists stood by and, and you know, echoed the government line. Well, we know that's what happened with uh, Iraq. Yeah. I mean, look at who's the New York Times reporter. Yeah, in bed. Yep. Yeah, the, 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 she's a lady. I mean, it was, I the, Fairbank, name, it was but... the Fairbanks Four. I mean, it happened with the Fairbanks Four. There were reporters in Fairbanks who could have looked at that and said, you know, these pieces don't fit. Why? Why? And asked some serious questions. Nobody ever did. But instead they just let it ride. Yeah, they let it ride. I mean, the police are saying that's what happened. We're going to believe the police. Happens all the time. And it's now, it's worse than it ever was. So, Craig, I, I have a question for you. What do you think about Nixel? What is that question supposed to mean? I think you might know what it means. I, 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 I haven't thought about it. Um, do you have it? Yeah, but I haven't thought about it. Really? It seems like something that you would think about. Um, I think more God, about... That's, that's classic his generation. <laughs> classic boomer. baby boomer classic over here. I think more about Google because it's something I use every day. I mean, I use it every day. I, I got to guess you guys do too. Yeah. And, and some of what Google is doing now to kind of censor itself in China, you know, and having meetings to talk about how to manipulate propaganda in the U.S., I mean... It's a huge, powerful organization. It really shouldn't be having that discussion. Well, Facebook shouldn't either. No, neither one of them should. Well, it seems like we're finally uh, starting to discuss these things and what these powerful tech companies that control all this information. Yeah, and, it's finally and, and, happening at and, least. And it, it's troublesome. I mean, they may have the best intentions in the world, but Lord knows I've watched you know, good intentions make a mess of a lot of things. Well, we were just um, mentioning power and how it corrupts. Yeah, and it you know, you start thinking... I mean, basically, democracy was designed to exist on the edge of chaos. And if it doesn't exist on the edge of chaos, it fails. And does that just have to do with, like, separation of power, <laughs> basically? I mean, power, you have to have these, you have to have, yeah. like, so many different cores of power, yeah. always, like, uh, constantly that, battling that, each other and, that like, was fighting, because everyone's that... always fighting for power. And so if you can create all these different entities of power... Yeah, it was. And hopefully, it, was, it, it creates was, some kind of even. It was brilliant. I mean, the system yeah, they really set is. up was brilliant in terms of keeping the parts of government fighting with each other because that's healthy. So, um, do you think that that the the more aggression and the more they fight, the better it is? Because it seems like Democrat and Republican are are more divided than ever. 
They are more divided than ever. I yeah, mean, but I mean, you can take anything to extremes, and it's at an extreme. But level. the way they designed it was Congress was supposed to be a check on the executive, the Supreme Court, and now yes. it's all partisan. So if you've got the same party in Congress and the same party in the presidency, well, they are no longer a check. Yeah, I don't think that's going to last much longer. Well, yeah. I, I think our president's going to blow this up pretty good. Yep. Which I think is, you know, I was actually in the Midwest, in Michigan, before that election, and mm -hmm. saw this coming. And there were a lot of people there who just wanted to blow up the system. I mean, Trump's support was people who just wanted to blow up the system. We've had it. The rest of the country doesn't care about us. They ignore us. The bureaucracy stifles us. Let's get a crazy man. That's the one thing. That's the one, like, kind of... I guess shining light I've seen in all this is he's blowing up the whole system. And like I said, we're about to take over and it's going to be completely like just ashes that we get to rebuild. <laughs> and hopefully we're like a Phoenix that arises from it. Jesus. Yeah, okay. I'm sure. God. <laughs> Something will arise. You must be that. awesome at a party. <laughs> um, yeah, no, really. Uh, he, he, he is blowing things up, you know, and it's a, uh, I kind of worry sometimes about like the kids who are like growing up and, and, and learning from his examples and like this whole moral decay shit and what that's going to mean for people who like, you know, cause it's all like me money now, what can you do for me? Our allies, you know, are you doing something for me or, you know, it's, it's a mentality. It's a reality television show. Now, yeah, now you're bad mouthing a generation below you. Like you accused me of bad mouthing millennials. Well, we're going to wait and see what happens, but I know they might be affected by this. Twitter generation. <laughs> the tweeters. Yeah, the tweeters. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, you, you're right in that every generation looks down on the other generation and goes, oh, my God. I mean, you know, my parents was like rock and roll. Oh, my God. You know, and we're dropping acid. We're doing dope. They're like, oh, my God. And then, you know, they grow up and they change and some of them get responsible. And, and then we read the books from the past generations. We read the books and go, holy, <laughs> yeah. holy Oh my God, they were actually pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> so now, I mean, you know, I see kids today, teenagers I talk to, some of them are pretty well together. I mean, not all of them, but some of them got their shit together. Some of them, you know, got a better idea where they're going than my daughter did when she was a teenager. I mean, I don't know about you guys. Millennials may have really had messed up teenage years. Well, I think we're just a big generation. Just a, and a lot of lot of uh, variables in that, you know, it, just like with any humankind, there's a lot of diversity. Well, I know your dad, you grew up in kind of a wild place. Yeah. So. <laughs> you don't come for anything. <laughs> you're like, you're not a millennial, Cody. You're a fucking you're, greatest you're generation. Life, you're, 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 life, you're, you're a fucking case study, dude. <laughs> your life had to be as crazy as my kid's life was. So, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised so, you can even, you know, got your shit together now. You're well, that's probably, how we get along. You probably right, needs so, a few more years right. down the line before so, you get your so, shit So, Craig, together. from what I understand, you're an outdoors guy. So I have a question for you. Yeah. What is the greatest mountain range in Alaska? The greatest mountain range. In your opinion, obviously. Uh, well, it, it's probably got to be the Alaska range because there's, there's places in the Alaska range that have some really nice rock. And there's a lot of Alaska that has some really shitty rock. 
Can so you explain he, that? He's looking at it from a climbing perspective. Yeah, right? okay. I've been looking at it from a climbing perspective. I mean, like the Chugas, the Telkeetan, it's just a lot of shitty rock. I mean, it's not much fun being in places where you grab things and they come off in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do a lot of climbing in the Alaska I Range? I used to do some climbing. Um, and it's just, I mean, there's really spectacular mountains in the parts of the Alaska Range nobody gets into, and there's some decent rock. I'm quite fond of that area. And then uh, last year I went over to the eastern Alaska Range and like kind of like the Summit Lake area. Yep, yep. Up in there. And obviously I did in the winter, but it's, wow, it's did you, beautiful. Did you get some, a pack raft and do yourself some floating up there? No, but I know a lot of people that do you Tangle Lakes do. and stuff. Yep. Do you have a pack raft? Oh, Yeah. I need a new one. Is that, Mine's so old. is the pack raft thing? That's kind of is that is that something that's always been around, or is that a new? No, craze? no, that, go, that goes back to the wilderness classic, was where that started, like in the eighties, and then it kind of evolved. Can and you then, explain pack rafting? Yeah, it's a butt boat. I mean, it's like a, it's like an inner tube with a floor in it. I mean, basically, it's so a, it's a one man. It's raft. a one man raft. It's about the size of the. About the size of so, uh, one man. You yeah, can sit so, up in it. Yeah, that's it. What's what's um, what's a, what's your uh, what's like a what's a pack raft trip like in alaska um well i think roman dial once described it as the poor man's super cub and that's probably the best definition i ever knew i ever heard you can get into places you would have a hard time getting into otherwise and float out um you know it's it's you can go it's just a it's a great way to get around you should try it are you gonna try it yet dustin you know, I keep hearing more and more about these pack rafts, and I, I do like adventuring and exploring. So. I wrote an article about them a while back. They were actually pretty sick. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, sick. yeah. Yeah. yeah the alpaca raft, right? Awesome. That yeah. was one of the first yeah, ones? Yeah, alpaca was uh, actually a whole bunch. Of <laughs> 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 I, a whole bunch of people were involved in the kind of the design of the alpaca, and, and it... Uh, the early spray skirt, I mean, they started as open boat. No open boat, you're always getting wet, and there's always water in it. And then Sherry Tingey, who used to live here, now moved outside to where she can manufacture pack rafts cheaper. Um, India? <laughs> no, actually, Colorado. Oh, okay. But um, There's a lot of she, manufacturing in Colorado, actually. She got the idea to put a spray skirt on it because she had kayaking experience, and the first spray skirts were really hilariously bad. Um and we uh, we took a bunch of them and ran Upper Ship Creek. I don't know if you've ever been on Upper Ship Creek, the part on the Army Base. There's a yeah, there there's a really nice canyon and a really nice stretch of three four water, and it was pretty insane. I got washed under a rock. We destroyed all the spray skirts. Everybody, are you went allowed swimming. back there? I don't know if you were allowed back there or not. We, yeah. <laughs> we may have been where we weren't supposed to be. And it was it was pretty ugly. Um, Roman, the year before, the year after that, almost bought it when he got pushed under a log there that had fallen off a drop and wedged. And yeah, it was a gnarly little place. It was kind of fun. But we quickly came back and said, Sherry, these spray skirts aren't going to work because they were just like rags. I mean, they were ripped up rags. And then she built a really good one and... God, now people do stuff in pack grass. I can't. I'm not going to do. I mean, I'm not that powerful anymore. I They do crazy shit. Man, I'm going to have to look into this. It sounds awesome. It is. I mean, if you, if you like doing crazy stuff, there's people doing crazy stuff in pack grass now. I mean, it's, crazy, crazy stuff. It sounds better than a kayak to me. Uh, Kayaks are pretty tight, though. 
They're tight, but I don't know. I kind of like the the freedom that a pack raft can give you. You, don't even know what, you didn't know what a pack raft was until like <laughs> ten minutes ago. Yeah, but Craig explained it, so I got it, man. <laughs> he painted a beautiful picture. Yeah, it's certainly, I'm woke. It, pack raft. It, it certainly bounces off rocks better than kayaks do. And it's certainly a lot more packable. You know, you're just so locked in on that kayak, and you have to become one with the boat. And really, yeah, you, you better know. become one with a boat, or a boat will kill you. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like you had a bad experience with a kayak. I've only kayaked in the pool, actually, the UNR pool <laughs> right now. Yeah, I'm, dude, I'm pretty novice, okay? <laughs> did, you, did you do an Eskimo roll in the pool? I did. The rolls, yeah, where yeah. you put your paddle up. That's yeah. why I was there. It was like a kayak roll class at the pool. And did you did you get the roll oh, down? Oh, I got the roll down. Well, yeah. that's good. Yep. So did you, ha you had such a bad experience in the no, pool. No, I, did, I actually didn't have a bad so experience. So why didn't you take that to the Truckee River? Because I just was like snowboarding, I guess, or doing other things. And like anytime I went to the Truckee River, it was with the inner tube. And so I just feel like I didn't feel natural in the kayak, but I feel like I'd in the pack raft with a little bit more freedom of my movement and not having to. I don't do you know. feel natural on a snowboard? I do, but it took a lot of time. Okay. I didn't feel natural at first. It took a lot of time. Because it's pretty weird having both your feet locked out. Exactly. I mean, I like having my feet loose, says the skier. Yeah, I, I like being able to move my feet. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean it's like it's like having your feet tied together. Hey, well, let's, what's cool is like go. after snowboarding, <laughs> I went to surfing, and uh, that was that was quite a because your feet are your feet are free on surfing, you know what I mean? And so that was a whole new. So do you surf up here? I've only surfed up here once, and that was actually on uh, on Cody on your dad's boat out of Seward. Yeah, that was awesome. We went to Bear Glacier. Yep, and that was really before I even got good at surfing. You mean like, because I, I don't think anybody can say they're good at surfing unless they're like Kelly Slater. Uh, Yeah, like like able to like ride a shortboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I'm able like, like to stand in. up and go straight on a fucking longest board. Yeah, versus like I'm just boat. sitting out there for two hours getting punked by Santa Cruz locals, you know, which is kind of how it started. But so have, I spent... have you surfed the board, board tide? No, I haven't. No. Why not? Oh, man, I don't know. Because my focus has been on all these projects and oh, I haven't. God. I <laughs> excuse, right? <laughs> Another um, excuse. I know. Classic okay. millennial. So I, I think I think this has been a good intermission you to pee? the next question. Oh. I, I, I gotta... <laughs> Have you surfed the board time? I haven't, no. Why not? I've had this I had this idea that if I was in a different country in a different state, I probably would do it. But since I'm here, I'm possibly a little different, a little bit more like core to my roots. And so, being that way, I, I probably always wouldn't do it. You're a journalist. You should try and understand. Get outside the box, dude. I've you're seen in the, the box. box. You're in the box. Yeah, you're in, you're in you got to get outside bit. the box. All right. You're in an great intermission. Okay. You're in an action sports box. Back, back to you, Craig. <laughs> do you consider yourself a Democrat or Republican? Neither. I hate parties. Okay. So <laughs> why? Um, because it limits your thinking. You know, they 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 stereotype them. They yeah. stereotype themselves. This is how we think. This is how they think. You know, it's just is bullshit. Sorry, it's bullshit. No, that that's that's fine. That's fine. We, we think so too. Because yeah, you get these political identities and like, yeah. oh, I'm a Republican, so I'm just I yeah. have all these places that I know I can right. go to, and they're just going to tell me how to think. Oh, I'm a Democrat. I've got all these places I can go to, and they're going to tell me how to think. And then anytime a new issue comes up, yeah. you're just programmed it's and defined. trained. Yeah, That's defined right. How this to is think. how we think, so you should think like, that way. Really, shouldn't you just like want to like 
get as much facts as possible, talk it out, debate with someone who thinks a little bit different than you, realize they probably have like a good point to give you, and try and make like one point out of that yeah. discussion. And I, we don't do I, that. I, I will tell you this right here. I think the worst thing that ever happened to rural Alaska is welfare. And if I was God, I would eliminate it. I would replace it with Roosevelt's work product administration. I'd put all those people to work building trails between villages, take the people who aren't working to, you know, run the daycare centers and give those people, you know, some productive work to do, which would solve half of the problems, three quarters of the problems in rural Alaska, which stem from people having nothing to do. They're sitting around bored and they start drinking and then it's a mess. Why but, can't we do it? Because I'm sure Republicans and Democrats would both kill you over that idea. One would say it'll cost more and the other would say you're making people work. We can't make people work. To me, that seems like something that American culture would be like, oh, the, those are the others. Like we're, we're here in Anchorage. They're up north. We can dictate whatever the fuck's happening up there, and it it seems like a very American decision to make. So why do you why do you think that we're not doing that? Because you mentioned that you know it, it's going to cost too much money for the Democrats and the Republicans. Because we're locked into our thinking. I mean, we get. I mean, the 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 parties. I mean, the parties are probably as locked into as locked into what they have written down as their ideologies now as they've ever been. Um, I mean, they're just locked in. Yeah, it's one thing I was hoping that would come from Trump is just like the destruction of the parties. Yeah. And it and seems it, like this, the Republican Party is probably completely destroyed after him, I'd say. It's certainly Democrats going that way. Not. The Democrats, you know, they may self-destruct too. I mean, they're they're not exactly cohesive, and that might be good. I mean, it, I think you know, it might be time for the parties to really reorient and blow a whole bunch of it out of there so people can get some clear-headed thinking because we're kind of we're locked into if you're a democrat you think this way if you're a republican you think that way and we don't even talk to each other anymore each other anymore because i know how you think and you know how i think and the fact that one of us might change our mind well we're not even going to think about I that mean, a presidential election it's what two billion in spending yeah you know? it was like Obama's first one, it was like a billion, then his second election, or no, his second election was a billion, and then Trump's was, Trump versus Hillary was like two billion in spending. So if there, if there's that, I mean, think about the money as a politician, you're just protecting. There's an entire industry with billions of dollars flowing through it, and these people become protectors of this money, and they're not protectors of American values anymore. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's disgusting. Well, that's the amazing thing about Trump at the moment. He's running against that tide. I mean, this whole tariff thing, he's pissing off people with billions and billions of dollars at stake. I mean, at some level, he's crazy. I mean, he's <laughs> At some level, at all levels. <laughs> I mean, he's legitimately crazy. So, Craig, give me, a, give me an argument for democracy at this point. Well, it's better than the alternatives. Is it? I mean, that's really? That, because that's what Trump's telling us the alternative I mean, that, is good. That, that's, that, that's the basic argument. It's always been the uh, basic argument. It's, it's a bad system. It's a flawed system, but it's better than any of the alternatives. I mean, what other alternative are there? Well, there's a lot of democracies out there that aren't democracies. Uh, Venezuela, Philippines, <laughs> um, you know, half of Africa. Um, yeah, I think you call those DINOs. Democracies in name only. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that's what you definitely call Venezuela. Those, these that's days. a trigger term, and we don't use trigger terms. <laughs> I thought we went over the list, Craig. <laughs> you had a list before you entered the interrogation room. God, Venezuela is a mess. It's a democracy, right? 
theoretically a democracy. So there, could, we, there, could, could we be theoretically a yeah, democracy? Yeah, we could be. I mean, the whole thing could, you know, go down tomorrow. I mean, they don't last long. They don't. So what protects them? Chaos. You know, a belief in the fact that people need, you know, that, that argument's a good thing. I mean, we're pretty democratic at the moment. I mean, it's chaotic, but it's, you we know. We could this, be the most democratic right now. Yeah, I mean, Trump is not seizing power. I mean, there's a lot no. of opposition. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's kind of, we're back to what my generation went through during the Vietnam War. Unfortunately, you guys aren't blowing anything up, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, not like that. <laughs> so, you know, it's easy to bash other generations, but mine was pretty bad. You know, some of my favorite people when I was in college were history majors because they were in the same way that my some of my other favorite people were economists because they're looking at historical precedents um, to analyze the present. How do you think the historians will look at the Trump era. As an American backlash, um, you know, I don't think there's any other way to look at it. It's the way I already look at it now. It's, it's, I mean, a bunch of middle America that thought they were lost and forgotten voted for a guy who, you know, it made no sense for them to vote for. I mean, he was born in a silver spoon in his mouth. He's like the... It's strangest populist you've ever seen, but they kind of looked at him and said, we're tired the way everything works. Let's just blow it up. You know um, what I don't get, though, is how they couldn't see that he was just giving them the message that they wanted to hear. I mean, he had just... I think they did. They just didn't give a fuck. They just didn't give a fuck. I, I think the people I talked to in Michigan just want to blow up the system. We, we don't care. All we know is that that woman's going to, you know... Continue things the way they are, and we've had it with that. So, and if it, if it makes it worse, that's better. Do you think the fact that she was a woman upset some know, of them because I, they're so I, used to the older? I think the fact the that older... she is basically not a very likable person. I think that's it, too. Yeah. I mean, she's just not, she's just not very likable. Um, no. And you have to be to a degree. Yeah, to you have, the country. To, like, you you have, have to, to have charisma. Yeah, you have to have some charisma. And she was. But, uh, but she, you have to have charisma, but then you have to put the right people in power. So that's something I saw that was different with Obama than, say, Trump. Obama comes in and look at who his uh, head of like the Department of Energy was a Nobel laureate scientist in like nuclear energy and physics, right? Then you get Trump who comes in and he puts in Rick Perry, a degree in animal husbandry. Okay? It's but he like, does have a degree. Yeah, so do I, man. Can I be the uh, secretary of one of our government departments? You could be. I could. In the new millennial administration. <laughs> well, We're in, dude. We're in. It's all ours now. Okay. Quick, grab the money. But I, I've been thinking about this a lot because, I mean, we are clearly in a post-truth era. And I kind of got thinking about where did that start? And it's hard to put a finger on where it starts. But I remember Obama coming up here and, you know, eating a friggin' salmon that was supposedly killed by a bear, which the whole thing was made up. And no reporter called bullshit on that. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, OK, a reality TV star says he stole. So we need to blow up journalism. 
journalism has blown up itself and that might not be a bad thing. Well, but finish, I mean, finish that story. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the fish was bought from Icicle. I mean, the, the Secret Service doesn't let you feed shit to the president. I mean, it's just that simple. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I mean, they, they, they don't, you know, some dude goes, ah, I found this fish on the edge of the river and I'm going to feed it to the president. The Secret Service doesn't go, oh, okay. Yeah, they go, they go. Seriously. what the hell could that thing be contaminated with? I mean, it doesn't pass the most basic of shit tests. And and people just go, okay, well, you know, they said the president ate a fish that a, salmon, that a bear killed, and I, they all just bought it. So so where is the problem? Is it with the journalists or is it with the, the politicians for being liars? I think it's with the journalists. I think so it's we with don't... the journalists, too, because they, yeah, yeah. politicians yeah, that, are that, always going to be liars. That's that, what they're yeah, supposed that's to do, the job of yeah. journalists to stand up and say, wait a minute, this is just bullshit. So we, where did so where does this start, Craig? Like, I don't do, know. That's no, but I, mean, like, I think it goes back to somewhere before that, and I don't know where that point is. No, I mean, but, how do we fix that? I mean, do we do we institute it in in the schools at UAA in the journalism department? At least as far as Alaska goes, do we do we tell I think, these students to ask more questions, to dig deeper, to not be yeah, a bunch to, of to question everything and to not you know take things at face value, and that the truth matters. Well, and I don't we know really, who told me this, but someone said a journalist used to be someone who didn't have very much money. You know, and drank it a lot. Still is. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Are just you just describing me <laughs> <laughs> or me? Well, they just used to be these grimy people that could hang out in any part of society, and they were just, you know, it wasn't about the paycheck for them at all. That's that's the reality. Yeah. Like that's it what wasn't about. Described. It was never yeah. about the paycheck. So you know, maybe they're drinking, they're smoking, but they have this like pursuit of this truth, and that's what it was yeah. about. And we need to get, but, but I think it was a bigger societal problem, and I think. That's the scariest thing about Trump is that at a, at a bigger level, the truth has kind of become unimportant. That we will now vote for people who lie through their teeth because the truth isn't a value that we value anymore. Well, the, you know, the, the entity that's supposed to create the truth or let's bring it forward, which is the media, the news, he's, he's destroying our perception of that. And yeah, maybe he has some valid truth in like the fact that, yeah, the media is not doing their job right now but if he completely destroys america's trust in the media and the news for a generation we're fucked well here here look at it like this the idea of clickbait the idea of uh buzzfeed news and actually they 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 have done some okay stuff since they've started the buzzfeed news but just that idea of clickbait where News isn't really news anywhere anymore, but it's masquerading as news. I mean, like... Well, because the advertising model is the more looks I get, the yeah, more views it, I get. That's all we want to so talk about. That, that goes into the financial structure. No, I, I understand that. But the thing is, is, is the, the basic model of truth-telling in journalism is broken. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's you know, it's... A lot of people chasing clicks. It's a lot of people willing to mislead in ways big or small to get eyeballs. Um, I mean, it's kind of become reality journalism. And, you know, I have this theory that it will start, we will we will begin to subvert that at the local level. Yeah, and so when that's you look, where it's always going to start. So when you look at, at people like Adian and you look at people like the Anchorage Press and you see all these things that they're doing um, – either wrong or right, and you want them to do better. I mean, how do we fix those institutions? I think you're going to have to build new institutions. 
So they have to just burn and then yeah, be I think, done. I, I, I Bureaucratic intransigence. I, I think you're going to have to build new institutions. I mean, that, that people say, okay, I can trust this. I mean, I might not like these guys. I, you know, they may not be who I'd want to be, but they're fair and they're honest. And I can trust this source when they tell me that they've gone out and, you know, they've dug into this and they found out and they're telling me what the pieces are and I can trust them. And I, you know, I, I dream, I hope that we get back to that point someday because society really needs it. Is it a renaissance of, of new people in well, these institutions? Because so. I mean, look at the people that are people. in the institutions currently. I mean, are they, are they going to change? No, it's got to be new people. I mean, it's most, be new. Of, most of them aren't going to change. I mean, they're ingrained and that's the way they're doing it now. And they're bought into the way it's done and they're accepting it. And I mean, I, you know, the one thing I learned watching journalism decay was the things people can rationalize and the, and the human ability to rationalize is astounding. I mean, it's just astounding. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, you know, I I never would have thought this when I was younger as kind of a student of the World War and, and, you know, Germany and all that chaos. But I can I can now kind of believe that a whole bunch of those people who worked in concentration camps somehow rationalized all that shit that, you know, it's not that bad that we're killing people like this, that we're, you know, running a factory that kills people. I I bet if you sat them down and picked their brain and, you know, put them on the couch, they have some rationalization. Well, because we're seeing it yeah, now. We're seeing these people rationalize the, the unrationable. Yeah. I mean, how it all makes sense, how it wasn't bad, you know, that I, I, it's crazy. But I think people can I think people can rationalize to that extent, which is why, yeah, it probably needs to be replaced by a new generation that has some higher principles and ideals and says, you know, we're not going to rationalize. We're going to stick to these. And if it costs us, it costs us. But that's the way it is. All right, Craig. I, I think uh, I have actually, I was just about to try to close this out, but I got a question for you, dude. God, Walker, I'm just about exhausted. But Walker, I might, I might have Begich, or Dunleavy? Walker's easy. Um, he wanted to get elected to build a gas pipeline. So, and that's it. He's a one-trick pony. Um the other two, I, I, I'm not sure why either one of them wants to be governor. So why are they doing it? Why are they, why are they running? I, I don't know. Why does Mark want to be governor? I mean, who the hell in their right? I mean, who in the hell in their right mind wants to be governor in this climate? And what can you get done? I, 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 I you know, and I, I've never, I haven't gotten a good answer out of Dunleavy to the same question. I mean, I don't know why, other than to be governor. So nobody should be governor right now. I, well. I think maybe you should just go out and draft somebody off the street. Just pull somebody in there and say, it's your gig for the next four years, buddy. Sounds like a good reality show. <laughs> it does. <laughs> well, let's do And we could use another one. You know, yeah, exactly. What, we don't have enough. Instead of a gas line, the state should have invested in a network and forced all those reality shows onto the Alaska network, and we'd, well, actually, I, that's what we'd Sarah, actually be making some Sarah money. Sarah Palin, she's the one that started all that, right, with the, the film credit tax. Yeah. Yep. And, and the state should have just gone all in, so we're going to take a bunch of money and create our own network and, on, and make... I mean, you turn on the TV and there's all these stupid reality shows. We ought to at least make some honestly, money as, as, Well, as much as I uh, hate the reality shows and hated going and living in the lower 48 and being asked about all of them, I think it really created an uptick in tourism. You do? I think so. I, I don't know if I have the exact exact you know, stats what, for that. What, what, is, know, it, is it well, tourism two, number what, two, two or three? Visitors? We just hit two oh, million Oh, God, there must be five or ten of them. I mean, no, 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 two or three. Like, it, it's uh, it's oil, um, it's fish, and tourism. 
Yeah, those far- are those are three, and then yeah. tourism and oil are the only ones making money. We lose money on fish. We actually we actually spend more to manage it and enforce it than we get in taxes on it, which to me is mind-boggling. So that's, that's like a uh, socialized, communist it, kind of economy like in, right there, it's right? Like or spending money I mean, to keep in it going. In territorial yeah. days, fisheries were like oil. They supported like 70% of the budget of the territorial government. Now we lose money on it. It's like, what are we doing here? So does democracy work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From time to time. <laughs> Okay, so we need people to pay attention, you know, and, and to uh, to vote the right person in. And so some people, you know, that previous guests have said is that because you don't pay an income tax, you don't feel that you have any responsibility to the policies. You know, then really. how and do that, we explain all those people outside who don't vote where they do pay income taxes? Just asking the are question. The, oh, no, that's interesting. Are I the mean, numbers it, the same? It's a nice idea, but I, you know, I, I don't think it makes. I don't think. I don't think an income tax makes people vote. Um, Do you think it makes them pay more attention to where their money's being spent? I don't think so. I mean, do do do. How many you guys must know some? Do people. you think? Do you, you think you the guys, politicians are more? You you guys must know some people own homes in in Anchorage by now at your age, right? Sure. I, I, don't, I don't talk to them about the homes they own. <laughs> no, but I mean, does making property tax, does paying, you know, shitload of property tax make them pay more attention or not? That's a good question. I would think I mean, so. Mo- I would think, I think yes. I would say yes. Okay. I would Actually, say you know what? I, I, tax, I got in the You probably conver- care about where your money's being spent. And that's the idea. And also the politicians. Are they beholden to just the oil companies who pay their bills? Who fund their government, and if if the citizens were funding more of their government, would possibly the politicians be more beholden to the citizens? No, I think politicians are beholden to whoever gives them money. You got to have money to get elected these days. They definitely. I mean, it, it, it's so it, it comes down to the election and the campaign coffers. Yeah, it comes down to the election and campaign coffers. I mean, it, but it is pretty pathetic how few people turn out. I mean, if I was running for office in this state, I think I'd just buy a bus, you know, and go around on election day, pick everybody up, give them a ride to the poll. Who, who, <laughs> did, who did that in the past? I I don't know that anyone has. No, but I'm it, saying like historically in, in, in the nation, not I, just I'm Alaska. I'm sure somebody did. I yeah, mean, I, I feel it, like I read something it, it, it recently would seem, about that. It would seem in a, clear. In an old book. <laughs> All right. What's up with Don Young? Um, he's old and cranky and he's been old and cranky for a long time. Um, and Alaskans love him because he's old and cranky. So he represents the old cranky sourdough. Well, I, I, you know, ever since I've been around, everybody keeps telling me how Don Young's going to lose. But the problem is, is that almost everybody in the state knows someone who Don Young got something done for. I mean, Don Young has really good constituent services. If you got a problem with the federal government, I would suggest you call Don Young's office because those people actually work hard at serving Alaskans. So I think Don Young has kind of been cognizant of that, and he can do all this other crap he does because, you know, you don't have to scratch far to find somebody who's gotten help from Don Young's office. So he has a mechanism to actually give constituent support. Yeah, I, mean, I, and a pretty I always thought one. it was his bolo ties. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough to make me vote for him. <laughs> that dude's got my vote. <laughs> he needs to go. He's old. 
He just needs to go. So you didn't. So to circle back around, who should we vote for? Walker, Baggage, or Dunleavy? I can't pick one of those three. So who are you going to vote for? I don't vote. Wait, why should we vote? What What should we I vote don't on? Vote. If we had to vote on one issue, this. Uh, November election for governor. What's the issue as Alaskans we should vote on? Uh, the economy, and and I have So what's what's that issue I, for I, us? I haven't heard either any of them kind of you know come up with a plan. Seems for like how Walker's we move the forward. only one that's been forced to have to do it though. Yeah, and that's because the media. And he's lose because he had to. Fo- he was forced. Well, to do he, it. he he he's forced to do it, and his plan is that you know he'll build a pipeline, and that's not happening. So, you know, what else you got? Um, and he's not got anything else. I mean, he really doesn't care about anything else. I kind of want to circle back around to this you don't vote. And I we've been th- talking I, about democracy I, I, this whole time. I, I don't think reporters yeah. should vote. It's a journalism thing. There's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of psychological studies that say once you pick a candidate, you you miss their negatives, that you rationalize their negatives and it skews you. Um, and I think, I think we're seeing some of that with the press now and, and Trump that, you know, when we were talking about, even if he does something that's right, it's wrong because we've, we're so convinced it's wrong. And I just, I don't think reporters should vote. I think um, you're. I think you're kind of right, man. I actually, am, uh, you're making a believer out of me. So yeah. let me let me ask you. I, this. I just don't. You think you should? I just think. It, it, yeah, you, you just, know, you it, make a choice. Dude. You make it's a like, choice, it's like, it's and like once you make Catholic it, priests don't have sex. <laughs> you make a choice. Once you make a choice, it just it interferes with your thinking. It's hard to think critically about your guy. So did you have an epiphany uh, some time ago where you didn't vote in a certain election and then? No, you were I, able I, to. I I kind of you know I somewhere early in my journalism career I got interested in psychology um, simply because you know you start off you tend to start off with traditional journalism as a crime reporter so you're exposed to a lot of stories where you you try and figure out what made people do this which I've now given up on you. You can never figure that out. But you want to know, you know, how's the brain work? How's this seemingly normal guy decide to go shoot a bunch of people? How's all that go on? So I got pretty deep into psychology and somewhere in there I realized that, you know, once you form opinions, especially something as selective as picking a candidate, which you really, you often got to, you often got to rationalize a lot of bad things because you know, it's like, this guy's not that good, this guy's not that good, this guy's not that good, but I'm going to pick Joe over here despite all of his flaws. And then you tend to make all those flaws go away because now you've picked Joe. And at some point I just realized, you know, if you're going to be a journalist, if you're going to look at all this stuff critically, you probably shouldn't be setting yourself up to decide who's the best and then trying to look at it critically. So you're you're the journalism equivalent of a method actor. <laughs> I was going to say a nihilist. <laughs> I think that's closer than So my you're Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd go that far. You're the dude. <laughs> my bowling sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I see what you're saying. It's... um. It's an idealistic profession, and it's yeah, one that and you, matters and you should to stay, our society. You should stay idealistic. I think journalists should stay idealistic. Um, you know, I, it's, it's kind of like why I'm bothered by all the all about me journalism now, where you know I came and I saw this and. I heard them say... Oh, using the personal well, pronoun yeah, I. Th- yeah, there's or first how about, person. how about like those people that have websites that's their name.news? 
Yeah, well, <laughs> kind of a marketing necessity I know, in my yeah, case. yeah, you're trying to survive. But I, 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 try, I avoid the, the I thing like a plague. I mean, that first person shit, I mean, just tell the goddamn story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, I, I went so, outdoors and I saw the sky was blue. I mean, just tell me the damn so sky I was blue. I think I've written a couple articles like that. <laughs> no, what, what, what that brings me to and something I, I was talking to Cody before you got here is like the, the different types of journalists, right? And you got the journalists who are supposed to present just facts for you to digest. That's what they're there for. They're the boring, you know, Edward Moreau's like, today in Vietnam, 45 body bags were <laughs> delivered to, and uh, the, the Russians moved into Serbian with 45 tanks, and we're signing off, good night, America, <laughs> right? But then all you have the other journalists that they present kind of in opinions, and they're thought leaders, and they're supposed to provoke a way to think at something and they deliver that direction of thinking to you to ponder. And we like somehow elect these thought leaders and we need them. And, and you seem to be like an Alaskan thought leader and you've earned Well, I, I think there's, I think thinking matters. I mean, I think we need just a lot more thinking in general. I mean, in this state particular, I, you know, and I don't know that I'm a thought leader, but I do like, you know, the highest compliments I've ever been paid are by people who, like, said, you know, I didn't agree with everything you've written, but, man, we had some great family arguments across the table about things you've written. And to me, if you could present enough data that you can have an argument, that people can sit there and disagree because they have facts to disagree with, I think we get somewhere. I mean, I'm kind of a data guy. I mean, I was trained as a scientist, so I'm a data guy. We don't agree on the facts anymore. That's our problem. Yeah, we don't. We we and we don't trust the people to deliver the facts. That's a pro bigger problem. I mean, nobody really. Everybody now goes wants to go Fuck. looking. The whole system's fucked. Yeah, everybody wants. We we've reached a point in, ashes in the post truth era where everybody wants to go looking for their facts. So instead of having some arbiter that gives, says, "Okay, here are the facts. Guys, argue it." We, we've got them all, you know, like I've found Fox News and it tells me this and I've found MSNBC and it's told me this. And I, I don't care if it's cable generation. Yeah, I don't care if it's true. I want what these guys are telling me because I like it. OK, Craig, <laughs> we are. I have I have one question. You have one question. Just, I have one more question. Just one. <laughs> Go ahead. Have you ever been attacked by a bear? Yeah, you know the answer to that. I know, but I gotta hear it, man, because I am so afraid of bears. Why? Like, okay, I am afraid of that moment where you're out enjoying a what it, whatever you're doing. You want me to make you more afraid? Yes. There, there, there's an old biologist friend of mine who spent a lot of time working with bears, and he always reminds me, bears don't kill; they eat. Exactly. Yeah. You like yeah, they could like see, bite you and drag you yeah. off, and you could die for three days it, it's, as it slowly yeah, eats it's you. Like the it's slowest, the most terrible it's like, thing it's in the world. It's like the worst way to go. Yeah, I it's mean, like the worst way to go. Big so, cats, so, will, big cats will kill you. A bear will eat you alive. Yeah. So, so tell us the story of you getting mauled by a bear. Well, I, I hate to tell the story because I look like an idiot. We all look like idiots. Yeah. Well, you're not telling the stories. So you look like an idiot. Um. <laughs> I, I was younger and I was naive and I thought all bear charges were bluff charges because if you were just brave enough, you know, they'd stop. And I got followed by a couple yearling bears through some thick spruce and I went, oh, fuck, this isn't good. And they wouldn't go away. They kept following me and I kind of tried to angle away from them and Finally, I heard the footsteps coming heavily through the woods. Oh boom, God. boom, boom, boom. And I turned and 
okay, here comes mama and said, oh shit, she'll stop. And at about five feet, I realized she wasn't going to stop. And I tried to shoot her and missed her. (laughs) How you miss at five feet, I don't know. What were you Uh, shooting with? uh, I I scoped 454 Casul, which is what I hunted moose with. And she grabbed the the gun by the scope in her mouth because I still have teeth marks in the scope. I mean, there are teeth marks in the scope. Went over the top of me, put a claw in my jaw as she went over me. Um, What'd that feel like? I didn't even notice. Okay. It was like, man, you fucked up. That's all I was thinking. Of. Can yeah. we say fucked up on a podcast? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was just thinking, man, you fucked up. You really fucked up here, which is all I'm thinking. And she went over me, came off of me, and I still had the gun. She grabbed me by the leg, and then I just remember thinking, okay, you stupid shit. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Boom! And she kind of stood up and fell over, rolled downhill, stood up, fell over, rolled downhill, stood up, and, and they all gone. They're gone. So the, I, you got a shot off into her, and that got her yeah. out of there. And at that point, I'm like, okay, now what do I do? So I'm bleeding all over. So I kind of put my pack there so anybody who came back to look for the bear could find it. Cinched up my boot, um, hiked out to the truck. It was a stick shift. It was the last stick shift I ever owned because it was my right foot. So I had to drive a stick shift with only my left foot. Oh. Drove to Gwyn's Landing in uh, in uh, Cooper Landing and walked in, laid down on the floor and put my feet up because I started to go into shock and said, would you call me the ambulance? Oh. <laughs> and shit. I said, yeah, what yeah. happened? And I said, I just held a little bear bit me in the leg. And they're like, what? And I said, yeah, just call the ambulance. So I, the worst part of it was I got in the ambulance. I'm on the way to Soldat and it gets stitched up and... Uh, it started to hurt now. I mean, up till that point. The adrenaline. Know, yeah, the adrenaline's going away, you know. I wrecked a good pair of boots, all that. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> it's starting to hurt. That's so such I, an Alaskan I response. Know, old, grumpy Alaskan. <laughs> so so I asked them for some medicine, and, you know, they're like, well, we can give you some aspirin. And I'm, what? They said, that's all we're allowed to give you. I'm sitting there going, I got Demerol in the first aid kit that's back in my backpack. And you guys are going to give me aspirin? Take me back. I want to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So I got to the hospital. Um, That's the old days. And I think I was in the hospital about 10 minutes. And Sheila Toomey, who used to be a reporter at the Daily News, called me and said, what happened? I'm doing a story. <laughs> doing a story on yeah, you now. Yeah, and I'm like, what You're the, the subject. What the hell? I just got mauled by a bear. I just got to the emergency room. What? And she said, what happened? And it was like classic Sheila, and I kind of gave her a brief version of the story. And Yeah. She was like, why'd you do that? And I was like, I fucked up, Sheila. So do you still hike? Oh, yeah. No, I... I, uh, <laughs> I and I kind of went through a period where I was really... <laughs> I, I was really bear aggressive for a while. I mean, I just, best defense is to go to offense. Yeah, uh, Cody knows about that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, a few Cody, years later. Cody, make your bear noise. <laughs> a, few years, a few years later, I was Cody hunting on Kodiak, um, which is full of bears. Just full no of bears. way. Yeah, no way. Kodiak brown so bears, I, right? I, I'm, I'm deer hunting on Kodiak, and, and uh, I'm on a boat, and there's a couple really nice Mexican guys from Colorado. I mean, I don't know if they were originally from Mexico, but I mean, they were really Mexican guys from Colorado, nice guys. And they shot a deer like late at night and then they left it because it it was dark and we need to get out of here and blah, blah, blah. 
So, you know, the skipper in the boat had a heart attack because getting all kinds of trouble for that. So I said, well, we'll go back and get in the morning. So we marched up this draining. <laughs> and, you know, we get up there. There's a bear on the goddamn deer carcass. And I pulled out the gun and started yelling at the bear. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Drove the bear off the deer carcass. And those guys are like, oh, my God. So you had a death wish. <laughs> we're like, with a lunatic. And I said, well, what do we do now? And I said, well, you clean up that carcass and salvage what you can, and I'll stand guard. God, they were cutting like so fast, I thought they were going to lose limbs. It was like, get out of here and get this lunatic back to the boat. Yeah, and I kind of calmed down after that. I'm not near, as aggressive as I was, but I'm still pretty. I'm still so pretty. is that what happened to Craig Medrid? <laughs> you, got in, you got mauled by a bear, and then you absorbed its power no. and its anger <laughs> you're like the, I, like spider-man the I, bear I, I, man I, I just you know it's just it just it was kind of like okay enough of this i mean it's so i got pretty aggressive around bears i'm a little more accommodating now but so craig we're we're about at that time time's about good up. i'm exhausted you, i'm glad time's out can you give us some some sage advice yeah, don't get into journalism. It's a wreck. <laughs> There's my sage advice. Oh, don't fuck. be encouraging young children to pursue this profession. <laughs> All right. All right, Craig. This tell has those been great. Kids, tell those kids to run and run fast. Get away from this. You hear that, UAA? Everybody in the journalism department, drop out. You yeah, should. Don't know. I don't think we're going to take your advice on this one, Craig. I, you know, I, I don't think so either. How does somebody responsibly teach kids in a journalism department at college now i mean how do you encourage this at that level yeah well it's gonna it's gonna take uh not the institution it's gonna take the people to demand something better and to put their hearts behind it yeah democracy right democracy democracy <laughs> rules <laughs> man <laughs> all right i think that's great bad thanks craig you guys are bad You can support local grassroots journalism at patreon.com slash crude magazine. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a platform that makes it easy for you to support content that matters to our community for as little as $1 a month. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by Cody Liska and Dustin H. James for Crude Magazine. Intro music was produced by Alcoda Beats. <laughs>